Welcome to another edition of ATL Alts. This is your host, Andre Sindate. I wanted to do a series of shows on the Atlanta and Southeast venture capital scene. Atlanta and the Southeast are quickly changing. The venture capital scene is very active. There's more and more emerging fund managers launching, and today I'm excited to interview one such organization. My first guest in this series is Mike Dowdle, who's the founding partner of Circadian Ventures. Mike is an entrepreneur and investor with 25 years of experience in startups, venture-backed companies, and publicly traded companies. He founded Circadian Ventures, an emerging venture capital fund, in 2020, and he is deploying capital out of his first fund. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation today with Mike Dowdle, founding partner of Atlanta-based Circadian Ventures. Mike, welcome to ATL Alts. Thanks, Andre. It's great to be here. Mike, I'd love to hear more about your background and where you're from. Yeah, sure. It was it was definitely a long, winding road to get here. But I was uh, born and raised in Chicago, um, Catholic educated for 12 years uh, and went to the University of Wisconsin. And my last two years there, I worked in the media business. I, I sold for a radio station in school and I graduated, moved, uh, moved to Atlanta and was in the media industry. And the last four years I was in the media industry was at Turner Broadcasting. Uh, which is a very entrepreneurial uh, company. My boss uh, cut out my last two commission checks one year because I was making too much money. And so that was a signal for me to to leave the big corporation and, and sort of pave my own path. Uh, I ultimately started a uh, web design company building websites. And this was in 1995, very early on. There's only about 14% of the U.S. was online at the time, probably all on AOL and CompuServe. Um, but I, I started that business and I sold it two years later um, to a uh, an entrepreneur who is private equity backed and rolling up companies across the world. And we rolled up about 30 web development technology companies, uh, took that public in mid-99. That was IXL Enterprises. Uh, so we took that public and I formed our corporate venture group at that time. And that's really where I cut my teeth on the venture world. And that was... Uh, we were spinning out non-core assets. We were creating new companies, and we were also taking equity stakes in startups um, in really a, an accelerator model. After the dot-com crash, I started an online retailer uh, with a co-founder, uh, and we were selling uh, power tools and outdoor power equipment. This is before Home Depot and Lowe's were, were selling online. Amazon was barely in the category, and we built that up over the next uh, 11 years and sold that to a publicly traded company out of Chicago, uh, which uh, was United Stationers. They changed their name to Ascendant, and ultimately they merged with Staples. So our CPO Commerce is now part of Staples. And I did a three-year earnout um, with them, and during the earnout, I made four angel investments and really sort of went back to the corporate venture days of of being involved in a lot of startups and being in that uh, in that deal flow. And so I decided when I when I left uh, my my company that I would just do the investing full time. And so I formed a syndicate. And for two years, this is now 2018 and 2019, I managed a syndicate where I would find deals I'd want to invest in. I'd pass the hat to a to group of folks that I knew that liked these deals. And uh, we put about three million dollars to work across nine different deals over those two years. And that was really the, and those deals have done very well. And so that was sort of the momentum and track record that I used uh, to form Circadian Ventures, which we formed in October of 2020. 
Mike, I'm doing a series of shows here on ATL Alts about Atlanta's VC community and the greater Southeast region VC community. I'm particularly interested in talking with emerging and first-time venture capital managers. Could you tell us a little bit about standing up Circadian Ventures and your first fund? Yeah, I mean, really the the first thing is, um, you know, you got to be able to to pull the capital together, right? And so that really comes from having relationships with enough investors and a track record with them uh, to be able to to get enough capital pulled together to to get a fund going. And there's sort of a period where you start doing deals and you're still raising LP money, and it becomes easier to to bring pull the money together. Starting it. Um, because I'd been, you know, sort of doing it for two years, but just doing it under a different mechanism, if you will, uh, it wasn't that much of a leap to to get into the fund structure. And uh, you just have to put the legal docs together. And I've got some great attorneys that this is all they do is they do fund work. So they help guide me sort of through that process legally of, of how to do it and what I would need to do to to get there. And there's been you know, with things like Carta available, uh, there's just a lot of uh, tools that are available that helps you do this in a way that you're not building everything from scratch. Mike, can you talk a little bit about the capital raising process for you and talking to investors, whether they be high net worth investors or institutions, about allocating to the venture space um, in a fund versus perhaps previously in a deal by deal structure? Yeah, so so I think I think a lot of the uh, a lot of the reasons that some of these investors, you know, they they want to be in private deals. They most of them have made their own personal wealth through uh, private companies that they started or that they were part of that was acquired, um, and you know whether it's in real estate or you know financial services or what have you, and so um, they they really like the private markets, but. This is a really difficult, these are difficult waters to navigate because there's just, uh, you know, there's not much transparency in these small startup companies. And, you know, money has poured in uh, to this market and massive amounts have have poured in uh, on the private equity, you know, as a whole. But it really comes, starts at the later stage deals and it slowly trickles its way down to where the you know the earlier stage deals that I'm playing in, and so you know what I what I tried to do is to uh, when I formed my my syndicate, I was really transparent with my investors, and I would do long form investment memos that I would send out to them so they could see what I was thinking and why I wanted to put my money into this deal and what I thought the risks were and what I thought the opportunities were. So I was very upfront with them. And so they got to see my style over the, the couple of years. And so I could use that to show new investors that, you know, this is my style. This is how I go about my, doing my business. And they could see uh, as part of this fund, I share those investment memos, even on the deals that we do in the fund with them. So part of what I'm doing is uh, helping educate them, you know, how I think about these deals and how I structure these deals and how we manage them going forward. So we try to communicate, you know, uh, uh, really over communicate with them so that in, in this industry, there's always surprises that come up. It's just the nature of this business. And I want them to, to know, you know, how these things, if there's bad things that are happening, how they're developing, how we're managing it, and how we're doing our best to, to mitigate, you know, any downside risk in, in any of these deals. 
Mike, can you help us understand the different stages of the venture investing lifecycle and where circadian is focused and why that's your sweet spot? Yeah. So over the last 15 years, there's there's now about $4 trillion in the private equity asset class, and that's up about 3.5x uh, over the last 15 years. So the, the number, the amount of money that's poured in is, is massive. Uh, there's about, uh, in the last 20 years, you know, while the number of public companies has declined because of Sarbanes-Oxley and just the uh, the, the revenue uh, you need to be to, to be a publicly traded company. Those uh, number of companies that are public has declined while the number of PE-backed companies over the last 20 years is up 5x. So you're seeing companies staying private longer. You're seeing companies get bigger uh, private, and you're not seeing as many go public. And, you know, in 1999, I think the average IPO revenue uh, at that point was about $40 million, actually lower than I think about $25 million of revenue versus the average now is $200 million. So you have, the bar is much higher to get public. So what's happened is money is poured into the, the private world. And a lot of that goes at the later stage because everyone knows who those companies are. Uh, it's you know obvious who the, the companies that are growing that have a couple hundred million in revenue. And so the pre-money valuations of those late stage companies is up about 90% over the last four years. I mean, it's almost double what the pre-money valuations are on those deals. Pre-money valuations up 90%. Break that down for us. So a company that may, maybe was doing you know 100 million in revenue was uh, valued at a billion dollars. And now that same company doing $100 million, you know, four years later, uh, you know, m- might be valued at $2 billion. So the, the pre-money valuations are going up. So now somebody that comes in on a $2 billion valuation and, you know, SoftBank comes in and puts a billion dollars onto that deal to own 33% of the company, you know, they've, they've put a pre-money valuation at $2 billion and they're putting a billion dollars into the company. And that's not uncommon, and that's happening a lot at the at the later stage. And so the pre-money valuations are going up. What someone is willing to pay for that company has almost doubled in the last four years. And at the earlier stage, uh, which is now like the Series A, you know, stage, you're you've seen that increase go up. And this is all pitch book data, so this isn't just anecdotal. Um, but the early stage pre-money valuations have gone up about fifty-eight percent. And the seed stage uh, over the last four years is up about 17%. So you are seeing those increases, but it's the bigger dollars that have come in that are putting money in at the later stage because those are the the more mature companies. And so where I'm playing is more at that seed stage in the early stage with, with a smaller fund where I'm coming in and it's less transparent about who the companies are there's not as, you know, when you think about trading, it's all about price discovery, right? And the price discovery at the later stage, it's pretty easy. It's, it's, they're all kind of valued around the same, the same level. Where at the early stage and the seed stage, there's not as much price discovery. An entrepreneur has a more difficult time finding out what exactly their company is worth. And so from an investor standpoint, when you're in an area that there's less information flow, less price transparency, it's easier to negotiate with an entrepreneur uh, because they just don't have as many choices of, of investors to invest in that company. 
or at the later stage, there's you know an infinite number of, of choices. So I'm able to get into deals that still have rational valuations versus what's what's happening at the later stage, which is sort of a bet that the public markets are going to continue to support these companies going public or these private equity companies will continue to pay these massive valuation uh, multiples. So you're looking for post-revenue companies run by experienced entrepreneurs, but that's different than uh, a, a late stage or pre-IPO growth stage company that um, perhaps is a candidate for a private equity buyout or to go public. Should investors um, be looking at one or the other? Right. So, so I don't view it as a as an or. I, I view okay. it, view it more as an and. So, you're know, talking to a high net worth individual, a family office. I think to have a a, a well diversified portfolio, public markets should be some some late stage, you know, private equity. Um, but I I do think that uh, there there's great validity and great opportunity in this early stage seed stage. And I think uh, you know part of that is uh, we are trying to seed the companies that we think will be in seven to 10 years, those big winners, those ones that will garner that late stage money, potentially go public. You know, so if you're, if, if that's what you're interested in, then you need to get win now to these early stage deals so that that's the ones you ride up over the next seven to 10 years. And that's where you get the really large upswing in valuation um, versus paying, you know, at the late stage. So, Sort of, here, here's my thesis on the way I invest, and it, and it really is sort of three pillars. One is I only invest in experienced entrepreneurs. So these are people that have been through this before. They understand how hard it is to start and, and grow a company. And it's inevitable that uh, these markets change, business models change. These companies, the entrepreneurs, they get into a corner and the really well-experienced entrepreneurs know how to fight their way out of that corner. They know how to adjust. They know how to adjust business models. And I can go down the list of, you know, most of my companies, they've had big changes that have happened that they've been able to, to really navigate through that, uh, you know, very well. The second thing is I'm only investing in post-revenue companies. So these are all companies that aren't idea stage. Uh, these are companies that are generating revenue. They have traction. They have customers that I can go talk to to understand the value that the customers are getting from the product, what their price sensitivity is, what their risk of, of churning out of that product is, and really get to understand you know, how, how, uh, how, how well this, comp this product fits in with their customers. And that's a real big part of what I do is, is go talk to customers. And often I introduce these companies to new prospects uh, that I have relationships with to understand how they pitch it and how these prospects, you know, sort of react to that. Uh, and then the third thing is a good investment opportunity from uh, evaluation, uh, structure, and governance. So I'm not chasing these, you know, uh, half a million dollar revenue companies raising money to 50 million pre-money valuation. I'm just not, you know, I'm, I'm walking from those deals. So I'm getting into uh, good valuations. I like a good structure from governance, from from a board perspective, um, and then a good you know a good value, uh, good investment structure. And those are sort of kind of the three things that I that I look for on a basic level. Mike, to the founders listening to the show, what's the message to that community when they're out to raise capital and you see that their valuation expectations are perhaps higher than what you believe is market. 
Yeah, so so in those sort of scenarios, it's it's one of two things. Either they've already spoken to a lot of other venture funds and they are getting a sense that they are able to close at those valuations. And there's always going to be somebody that will pay a higher price. That's just that's just fact. There's always somebody out there. It's just how much time does the entrepreneur want to take to find find who that person is? And are they going to be a good partner for you? So you know, number one, they're they're hearing that, or number two, they believe that they believe they can get that valuation. And so, if they believe they can get that valuation, you know, then I suggest to them, then you know, you should continue to to go because I don't feel that 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 valuation is necessarily the right one for me. And so, if you want to come back to me after you've found out that maybe there's not other investors that are at that valuation, so again, I don't. You know, I, I have an honest conversation with them. I give them data. There's there's a thing called you know the valuation trap, which is you raise money at a valuation that is higher than what the market says your valuation is, and if you run out of money before you kind of hit that next milestone, you're going to be raising money at the same or lesser valuation than you previously raised. And that becomes a big problem for investors. The entrepreneurs will dilute more than more than they would ever expected to. So, it, and a lot of investors don't want to touch a company that has a valuation that's going down. That's sort of a, an up and down valuation. It, it, people, entrepreneurs, investors, uh, they like to see sort of a steady increase in valuation over time, uh, and you can get in that valuation trap and I've seen it many, many times uh, to the, to the dismal result for these companies. Mike, you're a former operator. You've led numerous investments in early stage technology companies. You've sat on the boards of a number of technology companies. Talk about the partnership that you're trying to establish with companies in your portfolio. Uh, yeah, I, th I think I think for me, uh, what resonates with entrepreneurs is the fact that I've I've been in their seat. I've been in the role of trying to figure out you know who my first customers are, how I'm going to make payroll, how I'm going to raise money from investors to build my company. Um, so I've been through the full cycle myself, and I have great empathy for entrepreneurs because I understand how hard it is. And it's the hardest work they'll ever do in their life, and it's uh, it's all consuming, and it's uh, and there, there's no uh, guarantee that the outcome is going to be positive. So they can toil for years at something and not have a you know a positive result, and that's real real hard work to do. So I I feel like I connect with entrepreneurs um, with them, and you know I'm able to. Uh, to help them build the business from a variety of ways and bring, you know, my experience and relationships and contacts uh, to to help them along the way. And, you know, I ultimately become sort of the first call they make when things are going great and the first call they make when when they're in trouble or or need advice on something. And um, I, I when an entrepreneur calls me, I try and pick up the phone no matter what I'm doing uh, or try and get back to them within the hour because usually when they call, there's there's something they need to talk about and I try and be there for them. Um, so I think you know what you look for an investor is you wanna look for someone who has the same vision as you, who's someone you can work with, 
uh, and someone who um, who you feel is going to be a true partner, you know, sort of in the good times and and the bad times, because these are these are like their business marriages is what they are. Mike, what kind of expectations around time frame and liquidity do you uh, like to communicate with your LPs? What what do you see as uh, kind of realistic in the environment that we're in today? Yeah, I like to set expectations. You know, a lot of people say, well, three to five years, but I, 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 you know, my experience has been the best companies, you know, they take, they take a while to, to mature and, and really hit scale and, you know, sort of the, the peak time to, to sell or to go public or, um, you know, to, to merge, uh, you know, recap what, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, the exit um, is going to be kind of that seven to 10 year period. Now, there's again the market is different today. The money is flowing in, and the deals are happening, you know, faster. And so, but I like to set expectations, um, especially with my LPs, that this is patient capital and this is long-term capital. And so, most of them they're allocating a, a, just a slice of their net worth to this, so that's not money that they they need tomorrow. And so, it it, it is very patient capital as it should be. Mike, can you talk a little bit about the investor's experience inside of uh, an early stage fund like Circadian or the kinds of things that you're communicating with or reporting to LPs inside of your platform? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So what we do is when we get a, a commitment from a, a limited partner, um, you know, they sign the documents and they wire in um you know, when we started the fund, they wired in 20% of the capital. So in, in your example, a $250,000 investor, you know, would wire in $50,000 uh, when they when they signed the paperwork. And then we draw down the capital over three years. So it's a it's a three-year drawdown. And we're, and we're basically, uh, and, and that means we're calling the, the capital from the LPs and typically in, in 20% increments, but then we'll, we'll draw you know, probably in 10 and 15% increments in the later years. And we're drawing that capital down really as we need it. And so as we find deals and make investments, you know, we start investing that capital. Uh, and we use a we use a third-party administrator. We're using Carta to uh, manage uh, the financials and the statements for these investors so they can log in 24-7 and see exactly, you know, what their commitment was, how much has been drawn down, where it's been invested, what the uh, what our cost basis is in each investment, where it's been marked up, where it's been marked down, where it's just marked at at our cost, and so they can see everything in real time. And so we draw that down over the three years. We're updating the investors. You know, every time we make a make an investment, we give them quarterly updates to tell them exactly this is what's happening with these companies, where they're having wins, where they're having struggles. You know, we're we're reporting their numbers. They're their revenue and and their you know re- recording their P and L, and so you know very transparent and uh, and I think that's what what people like about this is that this isn't like a black box where you're just investing and you know ten years later it comes back and so as we get liquid on these deals we pay the money back out to the LPs so as the money comes in through through sales or what have you you know we will we will pay that pay that out. Mike, can you talk a little bit about how you go about finding investment opportunities and, and meeting uh, entrepreneurs that really fit the the mandate that you're executing off of at Circadian? 
Yeah, the, yeah. The, the the area that I'm in is definitely sort of the the void in the in the market, and that is it's uh, the the deals that I'm investing in. Uh, many times they've had friends and family and angel investors that have come in already invested. You know, typically like 12 months prior to to when I'm investing. Um, but they're not big enough. They don't have, you know, typically my deals might have 500,000 to 2 million in revenue. Uh, so they're still pretty small. And so they're, they may be still, still too small for the series A investors that they were my size five years ago, but now they're 200 million. These, these funds that were my size three years ago are now $200 million funds. They've got to write five, $6 million checks. And so, the, the gap is when an entrepreneur needs to raise $2 million or $3 million, how do they raise that? They're too small for these bigger funds, but yet too big for the friends and family and angel investors. And that's really where my where I focus on. And there's you know several funds that are in the seed stage category. And there are so many opportunities that really don't compete with each other. We more collaborate with each other. And... Um, and so where we find these deals is, and, and it's never too early to find them. So we often will track deals that are at idea stage, but it's an experienced entrepreneur, someone we think can build a real business. And so we will track and follow that entrepreneur, you know, until they sort of get to the, the revenue position that we like. And so, um, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, there over a hundred deals per month. Uh, so it's, you know, about 12 to 1500 deals per year. And we're getting them from, you know, lots of uh, relationships that we have with service providers, lawyers, accountants. Uh, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that will refer companies to us. Uh, we, we go and sit in on a lot of demo days and most of those are all virtual now. So we, you know, we do tons of those. Um, and so, you know, we get a lot of referrals coming to us and there's just no shortage of, of deals. They come through our website, they come through LinkedIn, you know, uh, they come all sorts of ways. And there's a, between, between the, the six deals that we've done in the fund so far, uh, there's a, a, a story, uh, of how we got, you know, met the entrepreneur that is a little bit different on, on every one of them. Mike, what areas of the economy or what sectors do you look at within Circadian? Yeah, so so we're a, a generalist fund, so we we don't we, you know we're all uh, investing in tech and tech-enabled businesses, but we're not you know focused on necessarily one sector of, of technology. But a lot of it is B two B SaaS that we're we're investing in. Um, we've invested in a in a fintech company IRA Logics. We invested in SMS company Voxy. Uh, property tech company, Rent Ready, uh, sustainability company, Cloverly. We've got one consumer SaaS deal uh, in Pinwheel, um, which is a safe smartphone for kids, which is completely blowing up in a great way. Um, and we've made we've made another investment we haven't announced, and we have another under term sheet. Um, in the past, I've invested in cybersecurity, uh, robotics, uh, healthcare IT. So, you know, a wide variety of industries and you know, what, what I'm really uh, excited about is, you know, we are sort of, um, if, if you think about, you know, when the internet was really getting going in, you know, 95, 96 era, uh, and you fast forward to today, we have a lot of experienced entrepreneurs. I mean, there's a lot of repeat entrepreneurs. And so what really excites me is, you know, getting together with people that have a track record, 
that are building great businesses uh, and, you know, the opportunity to partner with them is, is really what, what excites me. And to be able to, to get in to where these valuations, uh, you know, aren't getting out of hand uh, and getting in where they're still rational and riding those up. And, you know, we're seeing opportunities then to, to sell our positions at, uh, to some of these uh, PE firms and uh, later stage venture firms that are coming in at really, really high valuations that, you know, may or may not be sustainable. Mike, there's been a significant amount of capital flowing into the fintech space. Atlanta is home to a number of successful fintech companies. Um, But one in your portfolio is not in Atlanta, um, but it's really interesting to me. It's called IRA Logics. Could you talk a little bit about that uh, fund one investment? Yeah, so IRA Logics, that was our, our first investment that we made. Uh, it's a company out of Pittsburgh that we were introduced to by an accountant uh, here in Atlanta. Um, and we tracked that company for over a year before we made the investment. Um, but IRA Logics, uh, it was uh, uh, the founding team came from the retirement industry and, and also from the fintech world. So it was sort of a marriage of, of these disciplines. And they saw this as a problem. Most of these uh, 401k accounts are, are less than $5,000. Uh, so they're, they're actually very small. And so the, you know, someone that has a $20,000 or $50,000 um, know, 401k is you know, typically to be aware of that and would transfer that to you know, a wirehouse or Ameritrade or Schwab or, or someone like that. But some of these smaller accounts, you know, they often do get left behind um, uh, or you know, they, no one wants them, so they, they have a hard time transferring them out. They have sometimes a hard time locating those people. And so it just sits on the balance sheet of that 401k record keeper. And so what uh, IRA Logics did is they saw this as a problem that came from the industry. And so they created an IRA product from the ground up, and they provide that product to these 401k record keepers so that they can now transfer these lost, uh, you know, IRAs, uh, 401ks, if you will, into a IRA product. Uh, and the product is a fantastic product for the customer. It's, it's much lower fees than they would get elsewhere. They get much better investment products than they get elsewhere. And so now it's, it's a way for these uh, 401k record keepers to, you know, be able to move that money into an IRA for the customer's benefit and be able to to grow that business for the, grow that account for the customer, and it's just a great solution. They're getting just a massive amount of traction. And just a few months after we invested, Morningstar, uh, you know, the big you know publicly traded company, a Fortune 500 company, came in and, and invested behind us at a at a premium. So uh, and and, th- and they're very interested, um, you know, because they've got relationships around the world with just about every financial institution. So. It's a really, really exciting company that uh, that we've been involved with, and I'm on the board of the company with Morningstar, and uh, it's just been a, a superstar in the portfolio. Now, earlier this year, in June, IRA Logics announced uh, that they had completed a Series B extension capital round with Morningstar involved, who you just mentioned. Could you talk a little bit about the involvement of a large organization like Morningstar? That's right. So, so when we came in, you know, we thought it was a great valuation, which is why we invested, um, and it was it was a fair valuation, and uh, and 
Uh, several months later, when Morningstar came in, they invested because they thought it was a fair valuation, but that valuation was much higher than, than where we invested. But it's all you're coming into at a point in time and you see where the company is from a traction standpoint. And uh, they they loved what they saw. And so they invested in it. And, you know, it'll be a year, probably a year later when someone else will come around and see what IRA Logics is doing and say, you know what, we love what that company is doing. And now it's at, it's at our stage, right? It's no longer a seed stage and it's no longer the smaller Series A guy. It's now a bigger investor that sees, wow, this is something that we could really get behind. And, and they're coming in at a, at a different point in time. Mike, can you talk a little bit about the distinction between uh, an individual investing maybe with a, a neighbor or former colleague who's doing it on perhaps a, uh, a deal here and there basis versus, you know, uh, partnering up with a with a VC firm and the difference between kind of those two approaches to accessing early stage technology companies? Yeah, there's, so a lot of my uh, LPs, you know, they they like these early stage deals. They've invested in them, but they've you know they've invested with their brother-in-law or their neighbor, and they've lost a lot of money on private deals. And they're not you know getting the kind of deal flow that I'm getting. They're not doing the due diligence that I'm doing. They're not tracking these deals and managing these deals to know when's the right time to sell. And so they look at. They look at me and say, "Hey, I can invest with you and get access to you know maybe fifteen d- different deals, and I'm going to be able to learn and I'm going to be able to see these so I can understand what you're doing." Um, and that's what really appeals to them: sort of the diversity that I'm able to provide and you know get into a number of deals that are uh, we think have just huge potential, and uh, and then manage those for them. Mike, I'd love to get your take on the Atlanta venture capital community and the the broader Southeast region. It seems that there's been quite a bit of attention, uh, rightfully so, paid to uh, all the activity in Atlanta and the Southeast. You've been in this space for some time. Tell me, you know, what your thoughts are on on all the success that the region's having. Yeah, so I, I would say there, there's there's many factors. Uh, I'd say number one is the fact that you have these repeat entrepreneurs, that you have so much uh, experience now uh, in the captain seat of these companies uh, that they've done this before. And so, you know, back when we were sort of just getting going in, in the technology space in the 90s, it was a lot of first-time entrepreneurs, and we had some really good success. Uh, but now it's just exponential. And uh, Georgia Tech as just a world-class engineering school, uh, because of the uh, opportunities now in Atlanta, uh, these students are staying here. Uh, Georgia Tech graduates you know, more engineers than Stanford and MIT combined every year. Uh, it's just the, the numbers that, that, uh, of engineers that Georgia Tech puts out is, is fantastic. And they're staying here. And the, you know, the cost of living and the quality of life here versus, uh, you know, the Bay Area or San Francisco where they were going is uh, they find it very attractive to stay here. And the money now is, you know, has woken up to the fact that uh, there are some great opportunities here. So you have global investors, uh, private investors that are putting money into the ecosystem here and the results are there. And, you know, at this point, um, you know, we have more of these billion-dollar-plus valuation companies uh, that we've ever had before. I think we've 
We've got, you know, uh, the ones that are today uh, equal probably what we've done in the last six years. So we've got about eight of them today with companies like Greenlight and Stored and Full Story and OneTrust and Calendly, which are just very uh, superb companies. Um, and we've had some great exits uh, with companies like Rody selling to American uh, to UPS and Cabbage selling to American Express. Um, so we've had some some great exits. Mailchimp selling to Intuit. Um, so you're seeing now the the full life cycle of entrepreneurs. They're starting companies here. They're building them. They're getting massive scale, uh, attracting world class investors. And then ultimately, you know, selling those those businesses. So you're seeing the full life cycle. It, you're seeing it in much larger numbers, and uh, 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 to great success. It's been it's been great to see. Mike, you're deploying capital out of Fund One. Um, what are your plans in the future? Do you want to have multiple funds? Talk a little bit about the future uh, at Circadian. Yeah. So so you know, I can see this is Fund One. It's a fifteen million dollar Fund One. I could see Fund Two being bigger, but you know, uh, th this is my lane. The early stage is my lane. I want to stay in my lane. Uh, that's what I know. Um, and these funds, yes, you can get bigger and you add more, you know, more people to do the investing. So it's it's uh, it's not a point of me, you know, just putting more, you know, writing bigger checks or going upstream to do later stage deals. You know, I want to stay in this early stage. We'll, we'll fund two will be a bigger fund and we'll add more people, you know, to, to do the heavy lifting. Um, but this is sort of the area that I see for a long time is a really, really good place in the market. And, you know, to your point, these funds get bigger and when they get bigger, they've got to go and write bigger checks. And so right. I sort of want to want to stay in this, this lane because I think there's great opportunity for quite a while uh, at this early stage. Mike, any thoughts you can share to those folks listening who are interested in venture capital as a career or interested in maybe transitioning into early stage technology investing? Yeah, so so um, I just I think overall, you know, the tech industry is just so so incredibly uh, filled with opportunity um, that you know anyone that is you know going into college, most of these colleges now have entrepreneurship programs where you can get access to uh, to content to learn about you know the journey of an entrepreneur, um, and many of these schools have. Uh, you know, connections to corporate corporations that are looking for talent. And so, you know, my uh, when, when I uh, talk with a lot of college students, which, which I do quite often, I tell them that, you know, there's great opportunities to intern at a number of companies uh, because there's a war for talent right now. Everyone is looking for uh, for talent. That's why Georgia Tech has, I think, 36 corporate innovation centers right off the campus because they're doing that to, to recruit talent. And so going to, to work at a company and, and I've hired people that work with me while they were, you know, in school and they were interning with me. And then it just became a natural to bring them on full time after that. So there's uh, lots of opportunities with companies that are looking for for help. And there's an abundance of content out there through podcasts and, and blogs and books uh, to, you know, whether you want to be in customer success or you want to be in sales or you want to get into venture capital as an analyst or, you know, there's there's multitudes of, of content out there that's available to you. 
Um, and you know, when I when I look at people to to bring on or to hire, you know, I I look really at what their experience is, and you know, not as much as what their GPA was or what school they went to. And so to go and get experience, some real world experience that you can point to as sort of your track record, whether it was just for a summer internship or a you know a holiday break internship, whatever it may be, just get some experience because there's a lot lot of availability out there. And in Atlanta specifically, you know, there's some these great tech hubs that have emerged with uh, you know ATDC at Georgia Tech, which I've been real involved with, Atlanta Tech Village, where my office is. Uh, so there's a lot of places to go to get access to people and companies and content to really uh, learn about you know the opportunities uh, for careers here. Mike, I'd like to ask you, you've had a long career in technology and early stage investing. You now have your first fund at Circadian Ventures. What are some of the things that have you excited about the future? Yeah, for me, it's, you know, when I get involved with these companies, it's just the possibilities that are out there for these companies. They're all they're all building something that can have a you know a major impact on on businesses. You know th- these are either helping companies generate revenue or be more efficient and, and save costs. And so, just the the passion of of entrepreneurs and the positivity in them and uh, helping solve problems. And um, it's just working in that kind of environment is just really, really exciting to me. No day is the same. Every day is different. Every problem is different. And just to be able to, to work with entrepreneurs, it's been a, a great joy for me. And, um, and just to see the passion in them and the joy of, of when it works and, and how everyone wins when it does from customers, employees, investors, the, the entrepreneurs and, and all their related families. It's, uh, it's just a, it's a great business to be in. I'd like to thank Mike Dowdle, founding partner of Circadian Ventures based in Atlanta, Georgia, for joining me today on the ATL Alts podcast. You can learn more about Circadian Ventures at circadian.vc. You can also find Mike Dowdle on LinkedIn. You can find ATL Alts podcasts on your favorite podcast player, or at atlalts.com. You can follow us and engage with us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, at atlalts. Please send us an email, andres at atlalts.com. If you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, and check out the website for Endurance Strategies, which is the producer of this show, at www.endurancestrategies.com, where you can learn about how to access unique and innovative alternative investment opportunities. Thank you, and we look forward to having you on a future show.